This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney, Paul Sarker. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Paul, good to see you again. How's it going? Uh, you know, it's going pretty well. It's uh, getting over a little bit of a cold here, which I feel like it happens once every winter. Uh, and I always dread it when it does. But I'm still here, still kicking on the men. Glad to do this episode. Yeah, there's always something going around these days. So I feel like everyone's catching something left and right. I'm excited about this week. We've got a lot of good stuff to cover the thing we should kick it off with next Sunday is the Super Bowl, the Chiefs versus the 49ers. I know you're a big football fan, an Eagles fan. How are you feeling so far? I am a big football fan. I'm an Eagles fan. Uh, so mentally, I kind of checked out on this season <laughs> like month, at least a month ago because the Eagles collapsed actually at the hands of the 49ers. Right. They were doing really well. Winning a lot of close games, you know, it was a little smoke and mirrors, but they were 10 and 1. Then the 49ers came to Philly and just ripped their hearts out, and they were never the same after that. And so it's interesting. It's an ironic matchup because Patrick Mahomes, who is potentially on a trajectory to equal or surpass Tom Brady, some are saying, you know, he's he has two Super Bowls. Maybe he gets his third this year. It's a longtime Eagles coach, Andy Reid. Pretty quickly, though, right? Like the guy, it's not even been that long. Well, he like plays in the Super Bowl every year. It's it's remarkable. But it's like, but how long has he been in the NFL? He hasn't been in the NFL that long. I think like six seasons. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe seven. Oh, that's right. Former former Eagles coach. He was uh, the coach. The coach was the same coach who gave Michael Vick a shot on yeah, the so, Eagles. Wasn't it the same coach? Yes, it was. So Andy Reid's first head coaching job was as the Philadelphia Eagles coach, and he was really successful. Probably the best coach we ever had. But he couldn't win the Super Bowl. He would get to the precipice year after year after year, and it's a game of inches. So it's always a frustrating end of the season for Eagles fans. We eventually ran him out of town, and he's landed in Kansas City where he drafted this amazing quarterback and his offensive genius plus the amazing quarterback. And now this year they have a good defense. That's led to a lot of success for them. And the 49ers, you know, they're a storied franchise too. They have, I think, five Super Bowls, team of the 90s, you could say, I guess, along with the Cowboys, Joe Montana, Steve Young, 
Very storied franchise. There's a good story with their quarterback as well, right? Because he was like third string and then eventually got his chance, uh, showed that he can do it, and uh, now he's in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so he was Mr. Irrelevant, which is the title they gave that's, to the last right. player pick in the <laughs> <Sorry>. draft. <laughs> and then they had an expensive, uh, often injured, overpriced starter called Jimmy Garoppolo. He got hurt, and then his backup got hurt, and then Brock Purdy went in, and he was just like, lights out. Amazing. Not necessarily prototypical quarterback, but he just plays really solid, makes good decisions. He's accurate, timely, poised. He's led some come-from-behind victories. And it's basically like the team is so stacked around him. He has so many playmakers like Debo Samuel, Kittle, Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey. He has a really good left tackle that as long as he doesn't make mistakes, the team should win. They have a great defense. And having a quarterback that's on a rookie deal that's a seventh-round pick is a huge advantage because most quarterbacks are making 40 to $50 million, and right. it's a league with a salary cap. So that's literally like $49 million you're saving paying him what you're paying him versus you know what the Eagles quarterback was making. So Before we get on to the actual, like the other parts of the show, is that not something that can get renegotiated? Let's say he wins the Super Bowl. Can his agents be like, okay, we're going to renegotiate that deal. Or that's kind of the whole purpose of, well, we just didn't know he, we signed him and that's it. You know, until his contract is up, we can't renegotiate. Yeah. Until his contract is up. So when you're a rookie, if you're in the first round, you have a four year deal and the team has a fifth year option outside of that. It's a four year deal. The team can start discussions earlier and maybe extend him early if they think they want to, but he can't really do anything for those four years. He, he's under contract to the team at a bargain price. So this got is it. his second year. Last year, he got injured while playing against the Eagles in the NFC Championship, but he came back. He's had an awesome year this year, and he's got two more years of being below market for the 49ers, and then he'll be at the market. So he better max out and try to get as many endorsement deals as possible while he's on this top right now. I'm, I'm just assuming. Well, I think if he wins a couple Super Bowls, he'll be good, right? Yeah. Like he'll, that should be enough. I mean, now you see Patrick Mahomes on like every State Farm commercial, <laughs> yeah. everything. And, you know, he has two Super Bowls. So I think getting one will put you in. Obviously, having a personality helps. Yeah. But this is rarefied air. Super Bowl is not is it's going to be, you know, this weekend when you're listening to this. So there's a week off and it's in Vegas and there's all hype. It's like a ton of hype and partying and marketing. It's a ridiculously expensive proposition. I think suites are in the seven figures for this game. Woof. I know. Well, speaking of the hype and, and speaking of just a rarity on its own, I think one of the interesting things about the Super Bowl that it's going to be live streamed on Paramount Plus this year. Yeah. So CBS is going to carry the game. And then as we discussed, CBS and Viacom are the same company, you know, controlled by Sherry Redstone. And then they have Paramount Plus. So the game is going to be simulcast on Paramount Plus. It's not going to be exclusive to Paramount Plus, meaning if as long as you have broadcast, yes, you should be able yes. to watch this game. But if you don't, for whatever reason, and you have Paramount Plus, then you can also watch it. So unlike the playoff game that we talked about last episode that was exclusive to Peacock, meaning it wasn't other than people who lived in Miami and Kansas City, you couldn't watch it on broadcast. That was exclusive to Peacock. In this case, it'll just be on Paramount Plus in addition to broadcast. I wonder what the overlap is between Yellowstone fans or anyone who's a Taylor Sheridan fan who watches his shows and folks who watch the Super Bowl. 
I wonder if there's anything around like there's some, hey, this is just a really good home for football. Well, you know, I think the Super Bowl is one of those like transcendent events, right? Even yes. because everyone's going to watch it. Yeah, yeah. People throw parties, ads, the halftime show. It's a social event. Yeah. A lot of people that never watch football will like go to a Super Bowl party, talk about the ads, maybe watch some of the game. But it's more of an event than, you know, a typical game. But this should be a good game in addition. And last year was a good Super Bowl, too. I think this will be similar. I would I'm going to go with the Chiefs, but it's a it's a close game. Yeah, will be fun to watch. Well, speaking about Paramount, you know, one of the updates we wanted to give, it's something we've talked on the show before, the Paramount bid. Who is going for this acquisition of this old, just established studio? And in this case, we have some new news. Byron Allen, the uh, he's a media mogul, owner of the Weather Channel, is making, I believe, a $30 billion bid for the company. Yeah. So in episode 302, we talked about the history behind Paramount, how it got to where it is today, how it's controlled by Sherry Redstone, who is the granddaughter of the founder. She has, I guess, 80% of the voting shares. And there's a lot of people industry players bidding for it, like Redbird Capital, Skydance, Warner Brothers Discovery, possibly Comcast. And they're all very savvy, and they're trying to get a bargain price. And as you said, Byron Allen just submitted an offer last week, $14 billion yep. for the equity and assuming $15 billion in debt. And that equates to about $28 per voting share and $21 per non-voting share, which is about a 50% premium over the market price, at least at the time the offer was made. And so his plan is to, I think, strip it down and sell it for parts. I think he's going to sell off the real yeah. estate, sell off the movie studio, yep. sell off some of the IP, try to keep the linear TV assets and Paramount Plus and just rerun them. Maybe he'll run the TV assets similar to his own properties. And as you said, Byron Allen is a media mogul. He has the Weather Channel. He bought Black News Channel. He right. has some broadcast stations and he's been very successful Doing what he does, he's worth estimated to be between seven hundred fifty and eight hundred million dollars. So obviously yeah. he's he's done pretty well, but he doesn't have like a bona fide hit property that I think you can really talk about. The fact that it was like it was kind of leading with the Weather Channel, I I was like, oh, what else? What else does he own? Because you know the Weather Channel is cool and everything, but obviously he's coming in with a bunch of different partners. The article I read was on Deadline. And the comments are actually really interesting because I think people are like a little bummed out that, okay, well, ideally, you know, you want to keep the IP and the franchise and the movie and the TV together. But if they split those up from a consumer standpoint, someone made the comment like, well, they're going to split up TV and movie. It's not going to be really synced and we're going to get all these different types of like content plays. I think everyone's excited about so the Star Trek IP in that case. It just seems like there's a lot of interest around Paramount right now. Well, there's a lot of interest because it's not every day that one of these major studios is so publicly up for sale. Yeah. And, you know, they do have a strong collection of brands, which we talked about. And it's interesting if someone who, you know, has the Weather Channel and he has in the past been rumored to have bid for BET and VH1. I think he, yep. he bid about three and a half billion for that. I don't know if, where it went. But it's not his money, right? He represents yes, a group of yes. other media investors. Consortium. Yeah, consortium. I'm sure he would be putting some of it in, but he would also try to be running it. And he's been very successful. You could call him a pioneer in this, in this advertising-based barter arrangement, meaning when he was making... Con so he started as a comedian. Yes, I know. <laughs> and then when he got into being a media executive, he would create content 
and basically give it to distributors and say, you don't have to pay me a license fee. Just split the ad revenue with me 50-50. Right. And that turned out to be very lucrative for him. He bought Weather Channel for a, a, a very steep discount from what the previous buyer paid for. So he's pretty savvy. I mean, he didn't get any of the weatherchannel.com or app stuff. He just got the linear channel. But right. that's his business, like linear television. The guy's obviously done very well. I mean, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate, fancy cars, all this stuff. I think if he owned Paramount, he probably would have a plan in place to service the debt, obviously to pay back his investors. I don't know what that means for every single Paramount employee. There's probably going to be some synergies there, some some people being let go. But uh, who knows if he gets it, right? I mean, it could just be, hey, $30 billion, that's a new bid. That becomes the new floor. Because like I said, anytime there's an auction, you have to just keep bidding, right? Exactly. That's like coming in and being like, for all we know, it could be all just to get the price up for somebody else to come in and swoop in just to make the deal a bit more competitive. Yeah, and you got to look at the terms, right? So... Maybe Warner Brothers will pay a little bit less, but maybe they keep it all together. I right. mean, Sherry's, she ultimately can decide. But to think that someone could run these individual businesses better as separate units rather than having them all under one, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like you get a lot of value add from um, you know being able to leverage the TV and the studio together. But I guess, you know, like there's just a lot of cost. I think we're just starting to see that from like a, from a, consumer point of view, like Paramount Plus is finally getting a little bit of a, they've got movies, they've got originals and it's all one place. And if then they got splits up again, oh, where is it? Where is it going to be playing now? And, and also like, does that take the value away from Paramount Plus if there's like potentially less content on the catalog? Sure. I mean, because if they don't have access to the IP, meaning like it's not all under the same company, then you have to pay for it. You have to, you right. have to start paying license fees for that stuff. So that increases the expenses. That same article that you were talking about, I think they said that Paramount Plus's expenses for the first three quarters of 2023 were like $6 billion. So Yikes. it's a lot, right? Yeah. Who wants to, I mean, I guess it goes back to like, who wants to run a, a, a streaming platform right now? But there's also the play here of, we were just talking about the Super Bowl, CBS, the NFL. Um, there's aspects of that that are super valuable that maybe he's more interested in. Sure, yeah. I mean, the linear television business, that's what he knows, and CVS is a trophy asset. I don't think Sherry would sell that separately, but you never know. She hasn't commented. Yeah, it's interesting. Just a last note here I read on his Wikipedia page, so take it with a grain of salt. But in February 2022, Allen made a bid to buy the Denver Broncos, um, and he was ultimately outbid by a group led by S. Robson Walton. So maybe this is yeah. his, like, how do I get back into this... NFL potential play. Who knows what, what he's thinking? Most of the major media assets that have been in play in my career, um, at least the past few years, Byron Allen's been a bitter in. That's a really interesting data point. I did not know that. I'm curious when he'll get one, you know, a, a big one, get his name on a big one. Maybe it'll be Paramount. Could be. But let's take a break right now. We'll get back and we'll talk about tech's biggest release. I wouldn't even say of weeks. This could be in years the Apple Vision Pro is out, and we'll talk about it after the break. When you 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Paul, it finally is here. The Apple Vision Pro, the $3,500 spatial computing headset is what Apple's calling it because they're staying away from VR. It's more of this, you know, using your computer and this augmented reality. $3,500. I had a chance to watch a bunch of videos, so review videos like Marcus Brownlee, Casey Neistat. I read what people are saying on X. I saw a lot of the, the the visuals myself because people can record. A lot of these YouTubers rec- were recording what they were seeing with the headset and putting it into their video. And I've got to say, yes, it looks kind of dumb when you're looking at someone moving their fingers and their head and sitting in place. But when you see what they're actually looking at, and you hear what they're saying about it. It sounds like it was really, really impressive. And I'm curious if you've read anything or your your initial thoughts on this. You know, we were talking about how the metaverse has not hit mainstream. Yeah. And what was the breakthrough going to be? Because yes, the Vision Pro has just come out and it's at a pretty high price point, you know, 3500 to get you in the door. If you want the all the bells and whistles, the most memory plus Apple Care, it could be closer to like five grand or in the mid fours. So not a cheap device at all. Maybe like the highest end computer or something similar to that. And sure, it's a technological marvel. I don't even know if they're making profit on the units, given the amount of R&D that would have to go into something like this. Right. But um, it's their first new device since the watch. And the watch is awesome, right? I'm, I was a doubter for the watch for like many, many years. But then when I I got it. I was like, wow, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, I mean, I, well, it's, it's also like the when they did the AirPods, too. I think now AirPods are, that's just common with wireless headphones. So they have been able to keep up, you know, since Steve Jobs with impressing people with a, a bit of tech. But this is a big one. Were the AirPods post Steve Jobs? Yeah, so the AirPods were post Steve Jobs after he passed away. They were launched in December 2016. It was two years after he had passed. Then obviously the AirPods Pro came out, which I'm a pretty big fan of. You're a big fan of the watch. Now there's a bunch of people that are a fan of this headset. And I think from what I'm hearing, it's like, look, this is supposed to be more of like a developer headset. It's still really janky. There's a lot of bugs. I'm seeing some commentary. It's heavy, right? It's heavy. Uh, It leaves marks on your face. The battery goes in your pocket. Yes, the battery goes in your pocket because before it had some, it was in the back of your head and it was uncomfortable. Now it goes in your pocket. So you're, you're watching people with a wired battery. Now here's the thing. The commentary is like Steve Jobs would never allow something like this to be out in public, something that had bugs in it, something that, you know, left marks in your face. But at the same time, I think that it is a technological marvel in the sense of people are saying that the pass through video. So technically it's cameras looking out and it's showing it to you on your screen when you have the goggles on. And they're saying that that is it's just so gorgeous and seamless that alone is something pretty incredible. And then the eye tracking and the Wait, what is that? That's what your eyes would see, but they're covered by the headset? Yeah, so the goggles are 
they're not like see-through, right? So the, you're actually, a, it's a bunch of screens that you're looking at and there are cameras pointing out and then it's giving you a reflection of what the cameras are seeing inside the goggles to you. Well, couldn't you just do that with like something that was transparent? Yeah, but I think that because it's essentially like a, a visual computer, I don't like I don't know how that maybe the tech's not there for it to be see through that you could see through. And then, you know, they actually it's it's like a computer. So maybe that's what it gets through. But they needed <laughs> they need like what's called pass through technology, which is like pretty seamless. And then it's the eye tracking because you use your eyes and you use your finger to like tell it what to do. And apparently that tracking on that is insane. The things that are buggy is that the OS is buggy. Someone said they couldn't open up Disney. They couldn't open up the Disney app, which is one of the use cases here is entertainment. So Disney Vision Pro, it has an app that allows you to watch a handful of movies. Yeah, special 3D viewing. Yes, a a native app for 3D viewing. And they they preset it with like Avatar Way of Water, Avengers Endgame, Incredibles 2, Guardians uh, Trilogy, Dune, you name it. And some people are having issues with the bugs, so they've they've already released like updates to the OS. But yeah, look, you get a thirty minute demo when you're in the store. I think people who are like early in on stuff are like, look, this version is sick. The next version, or maybe two versions from this, is going to be game changing for video conferencing for entertainment. We'll see. It does still look really funny. There's already videos of people walking around the streets with this stuff on, and uh, it looks yeah. very. Uh, it looks weird. Here's the thing. I'm a I'm a huge Apple fan. I use tons of Apple products. Not that I I also use Android products, but like I I like Apple computers, the headphones, the watch, and I think they're a great company, phenomenal company. I am just not sold on this thing. And yeah. I'm a skeptic. Yeah, I just yeah, feel yeah. like at the price point cuz I saw the demo. They have a 10-minute demo video yes. on their website. Yes. And it's breathtaking, but it like I don't know that I would want to work like that. Right. Like you put the headset on and you sit on your couch and you're like working. I don't maybe. But what if you have to like read a document or, or write something? You have to do that like this. No, no, because then you can see your you can see your desk and just write normally through the spatial pass through. Yeah. So like everything is supposed to look normal, except like you have apps in front of you. And it's basically like spatial computing. They're saying it's AR, but they're apps. So you should be able but to. But if you hold something, does that throw off the sensor? No, like it's you could have a pen in your hand when you're doing FaceTime on your mobile phone, on your on your iPhone, because you're wearing the goggles. It gives a 3D rendering of you, um, which, which looks honestly, it looks bizarre and creepy, but it's early. But other than that. Like the video of Casey Neistat, who's a YouTuber, was like walking around New York. He was on the subway. There's certain things. So like if you're on the subway and the subway is moving, the apps won't come on because it, it needs something. You need to be staying in place when you're walking because it doesn't want to like essentially block something, your view. So you could be on your desk with the pen and paper. Uh, you could be reading a doc and then you could have your essentially multiple windows open and a computer. I do think it's interesting for people who are at their desk a lot. I could see it being this is what you're going to put on now when you're working. 
I could see it going down that road because it's just like you're going to be at your computer. Do you need to be on Wi-Fi or is it like a, do you need a cell plan for it? Uh, that's a good question. I would assume it's Wi-Fi. I like think about it as like an extension of your desktop. So how would it, it wouldn't work in a subway? then? Well, actually, you know, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. I think it tethers to the iPhone. So it's using your iPhone, um, your iPhone 5G, because that's what when Casey Neistat was walking around, he said he tethered it with his iPhone. He was standing at the subway platform watching YouTube and then he'd get on the subway and then he would chill for a bit. And so I think people are talking about it for like video conferencing for photos. It's interesting because the photo realism is basically allowing you to be in the photo. So like you can look around the photo if you you have like certain family memories or uh, videos. It's like being inside of it. You can have like you can be sitting there and you can have that your backdrop is like the Amazon and you're sitting at your desk and you can look around. I don't know. It's kind of cool. I, I was a little bit skeptical until I saw the videos. And part of me is like I can see myself buying maybe version two or three. I want to get one because, you know, I like gadgets. It seems very cool. But I just don't think there's a lot of use cases for me. Yeah. Um, other than maybe watching movies or some sort of immersive dinosaur documentary or the Godzilla show. Because if I'm working, I mean, I have two or three screens whenever I work anyway. So I feel like I get the same value out of that. I don't know that I would use it for FaceTime because I think FaceTime's fine. Yeah. And I don't know that it's necessarily better than the Meta Quest 3 for gaming. So I just wonder how many use cases there really are. But that was how I was with the iPad. You know, I've had yes. a couple iPads and I really only use them in very select times. Like I don't really work on my iPad. I watch content on it. It's bigger than a phone. It's more convenient than a laptop if I'm watching something in bed. But that's pretty much the only time I use it. Uh, I'm the same way with the iPad. I've never really been able to. I'm just like, I'd rather be on my phone or I'd rather be on my MacBook. Now, I think with this one, we're going to need some time to see where it goes and does it actually make working from home? Like if, if we think about work from home or remote work and it's something that's here to stay uh, and more companies are instead of saying forcing you back into the office, the trend is more what is the future of like distributed work look like? Does an Apple headset play a big part of that? to allow people to be together in an office. I don't think it makes you more productive at home than like, I don't think if I were a manager saying, well, my, my team productivity is down. We have all this empty real estate. Let's give everyone headsets. I don't, that's not how I'm solving that issue. <laughs> no, no. I think it's more about the upside with distributed work is that we're just on our laptops all day and then we're on Zoom meetings and it's exhausting. Is there another way to be engaged with people? Because someone had written on Twitter about video conferencing on the Vision Pro is insanely different than just regular Zoom calls. I think it's super early. I think we'll have to see what happens here. Well, the other thing, it's like 3D TVs never took off because people didn't want to wear headsets when they were at home watching yes. TV. Yes. And let's say, you know, you've got a family, you got a couple of kids, a spouse, partner, what have you. You all want to watch a movie. You all need your own headset, right? In order to get that experience. That is correct. So then you're looking at like 20 grand. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not sure about the family. And I think people are skeptical about like, I don't want my kids wearing a bunch of goggles and we're wearing goggles and we're staying and we're in the house together. Yeah, but the kid's going to be like, dad, you have a headset. Why don't I have a headset? I think it's be more like, hey, enough gaming, enough screen time. I don't know. I, 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 I'm I, making a bet that 
it's going to be interesting for work. We'll see. Uh, I think we're a weekend, so we'll know. We'll know in like a few months. And, and this goes back to I, I just finished the Steve Jobs book, and you know, as people say, like, oh, well, Steve Jobs would never let something release like this that's super buggy and hadn't fixed certain things. But if you remember back, I think it was the iPhone. I want to say it was the iPhone four. It had an antenna issue. It was like the first yeah. like square one, and they didn't realize till after because they hadn't tested enough. Where if you covered the phone in a certain area, you'd lose signal. And so they just eventually, when they just released a different version of it, they fixed the problem. So the difference here is that this is a $3,500 piece of equipment. If you're buying this right now, you're definitely an enthusiast. You're a developer. You're something who someone curious about how the tech works. But if you're a general consumer, you are not buying this $3,500 Vision Pro. You want to wait. Yeah, like I said, very curious on the fence. If it is as revolutionary as all of their other or most of their other products have been, then I will will be doing this podcast in headsets, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and I I am intrigued by how it could make the world smaller in one sense, right? Because I've had deals, you know, international MA deals or something where the client is coming in from Asia and then the other side's in London. Right. And right. everyone's like, how do we get everyone at the same place in New York or LA or whatever. And it's like such a tedious thing. And you have yes. to travel for a week. If everyone could just plop on a headset and be in the same room, maybe that's better. Probably it would be cheaper than doing that a couple times and traveling a couple times. But I don't know how much different it would be than like zooming from a conference room. But I think if you can convey emotions and and really give a sense of like that you're in the room, maybe that would be different but it's ar not necessarily like it's ar yeah, yeah yeah i mean yeah it's it's kind of a mix the videos i would encourage you to see is marcus brownlee a youtuber tech reviewer on youtube has a has a really incredible video of this he does a review of like every aspect of the vision pro and it's done very very well so if you're interested in that check out marcus brownlee's review of the vision pro other than that we'll just see what happens good for apple more good products apple. the better Let's take a quick break and come back with a very high-level discussion of music streaming developments. So, Mesh, you know, no secret here. Music is big business. Streaming is the key to that. Uh, Streaming has been 65% of global music revenue for uh, a while since streaming became the dominant form of how people consume music. Back in episode 204, we talked about Justin Bieber selling his catalog for $200 million. We talked about how catalog sales are a new asset class that private equity and hedge fund are looking into. They're trying to buy catalogs of popular artists because it's an asset whose cash flows aren't really tied to the broader uh, ebbs and flows of the economy, right? Because yep. people are listening to music, whether it's a boom time or a recession, and the remarkable consistency that hit music has in terms of streams and the monetization for it uh, has led these assets to become really, really valuable. But music streaming is still pretty opaque and how people get paid. And so, you know, we've talked about this before, but we've never really done a deep dive. Part of it is because we don't want to necessarily lose the audience. And the other part of it is you kind of need a whiteboard to be able to break down right, right. all the different revenue streams and buckets but you know fundamentally there are two composition there's two copyrights in any song right there's the composition which is 
under the music publishing umbrella, and that's the people who you know write the write lyrics, lyrics, come up with the melody. And then there's the sound recording, which is when that composition is fixed in a tangible medium and recorded. So one composition could have many, many sound recordings because it could be performed by different artists at different locations. So you need both the composition and the sound recording. You need both the copyrights to monetize the work, but it could be one of many different sound recordings. So, and sound recordings, like I said, they're, they're owned typically by the artist and the label. The compositions are owned by the writers and administered by publishing companies. Labels also own a lot of publishing companies. And oftentimes there's multiple songwriters on any composition. So if you were to take one song and say, okay, well, if that song gets played, how much do I make? I couldn't give you a straight answer because it's like, well, who else wrote the song? Are there any other writers on it? Which recording is being used? How is it being played? Is it being streamed? Is it being downloaded? If it's being streamed, is it on an interactive service or is it on uh, a service where it's more like a Pandora, like a radio? Right. Is it being used in a TV commercial or is it being used in a video game or is it being used in a trailer? Um, Is it, are you hearing it at a concert? Right. Right, So it's like, there's so many different slices for how music can be used and monetized and all of that has a different payment structure. So this thing is getting more and more complicated. complicated. And the fact is there's multiple songwriters for potentially any song and you don't always know all the songwriters on every song. And there's like over a hundred million songs. So you have billions of people streaming hundreds of millions of songs. How many different transactions are, are happening, you know, at any given time right. a year. Right. So music is incredibly complicated and hard to administer. And governments are saying in the UK and in the U S Hey, we need a simpler system because the copyright law framework that we had a hundred years ago before streaming is just getting way too complicated. Like back when it was pressing physical records and selling them, you could track, you know, who's selling the record and radio plays. Yeah. Like the, the record came, uh, Sam goodies or tower records bought X amount of records and they've sold it. Like it seemed pretty simple, right? You're just, it's like purchases of actual items. And then there's radio play that had its own system, but there weren't all these other complicated ways. Yeah. The way it wasn't like literally every single person had their own broadcasting device in their house yeah, or like streaming. their own consumption yeah. device. Yeah. And so there's all these blanket deals and then tons of artists are independent, but most, Prominent artists are represented by labels and labels represent their whole repertoire and they do these deals with platforms. And then that revenue share is typically a percentage of the revenue from the platform. It's all, you know, kind of a guessing game. I mean, there are basic parameters and, you know, there's like, you know, we could say roughly that 75 to 80 streams on Apple Music will get you a dollar. Right, 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 right. Whereas maybe 150 streams on Spotify premium will get you a dollar, but it's all subject to change. And it's, there's a lot of varying complicated factors there. And so in the UK last week, the government announced this transparency code. They said that music and music monetization should be clear to artists. So artists should be able to go to an online platform where they can log in, they can see their work, 
and they can see how much money they're making by work, by track, by title, by source, by territory, and have the right to audit this. And they want it implemented by the middle of July or by the end of July. And I'm like, great. In theory, I would 100% if I were, you know, even as a podcaster or as a recording artist, you know, I, I did used to DJ. I would love to have a website that I could go to and be like, oh, okay, let me see how many people listened to this song last month. Where's my check, right? Like, yes. I would love to see that. That's so much data to process. I don't know if our system, like, we might just have to build a new system from scratch then to, like, implement a new, you know, implement this feature in our current system. But that's what the UK is, is pushing for. And, and music streaming is huge business. And there was a major story this week about Universal pulling their songs right. from TikTok, in part because, not necessarily because of transparency, but because they didn't feel like they were getting a fair market deal yeah. for, well, because part of how music, is, how, how you pay for this is like the labels control the songs that their artists create, right? Or own. And they say, if you're a music service, we want this much revenue, typically. If if music is like basically this the service that you're offering or the value that you're providing to your subscribers, then we think a large chunk of your revenue should go to us because like that's really what you're offering is our music. And so with something like Spotify, that's clear that it's a music service. Yeah, they have podcasts, but it's like that's why people get Spotify to listen to music. Yep. Not every service that uses music is a music service. Like some things could be a fitness app. Yeah, Peloton's a good example of that. Like when you, when you're doing a bike ride, they're playing all these songs. They must have like a licensing deal, right, to do that. Yeah, but that's not why you get Peloton. It's not for the music. Right, it's like, right. It's an right. enhancement. Yes. And so they don't have a business deal on how much the music is worth. And until they see eye to eye on that, the universal music is not going to be on TikTok. And someone who's on TikTok a lot, there is a lot of music. Music is a big component of TikTok. I do think it's important to like crack down on the stuff and have people get paid fairly. So I think good for good for the UK for pushing that. Yeah. And the US did this, too. I mean, in 2018, they launched this initiative called the Music Modernization Act, which is meant to make mechanical licensing a lot simpler. It's just a really tough thing to implement. It's still in process. I guess it's going into implementation. It started last year. It's easy to say, well, we should have a system that does this, right? It's like if a state says by 2030, we should only sell electric cars, right? Like, great. Sounds awesome. But if you think about how many gas stations there are and how many like battery charging stations there would need to be for something like that to happen, it's like when you think about the detail and the level of infrastructure and complexity, it's like like they're aspirational, but are they realistic? I don't know. Well, Paul, as always, good breakdown of that. That's an episode that we'll put a lot more time into when it comes to music royalties when we get there. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, where you choose to listen. Find us on Instagram, TikTok, at Better Call Paul, the podcast. Follow me on X at Meshtakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.